Northwestern Saskatchewan is a place like nowhere else in the province. This corner has something really special about it, and perhaps because it's absolutely gorgeous, as is the rest of Saskatchewan. But I think a big part of this is the people in the Northwest and the sense of community and how they help one another and take care of one another. I'm Jen Sharp, host of the documentary series Flat Out Food and this podcast. Flat Out Food airs on City TV Saskatchewan and is filmed solely in Saskatchewan. Each episode highlights an ingredient and traces that ingredient's journey from the farmer's field to the chef's plate while uncovering inspiring stories along the way. I'm joined today by Caitlin Schrope, who on season three took on the task of interviewing a few of this season's participants so we can get to know them and their passions better. So Caitlin, what were your impressions of this northwestern part of Saskatchewan? Had you been there before? And what was the experience of filming Flat Out Food there like for you? I had never been to the northwestern part of northern Saskatchewan where Isle Lacrosse and Beauval are until we filmed season two of Flat Out Food. And now since we've been back a couple times, it just never ceases to amaze me. As you drive to northern Saskatchewan, it's almost as if there's a line that you cross where the scenery changes. And it's so different from what I'm used to seeing as I grew up down in the southern half of the province and the grasslands. Like you said, another thing that I love so much about the north is immediately that connection that you feel, that the people know each other from community to community. And it's just like this big, small town, as I like to call it. I mean, I'm impartial to small towns, but, but it really is that way. I like what you mentioned about how the scenery changes, because there is a distinct point when the prairies ends and it gets a bit more rolling hills and then the boreal forest begins and you can feel it from the vehicle. The air changes, the energy, everything, and you know you're entering a completely different part of the province. Something that I remember traveling from the location that we were staying at to the NWC Wild Rice Company is that first morning we drove and the trees were, you know, as tall as they are beside us on the road, but then the fog was so low and it was so stunning and the sun was peeking through the trees and I just remember feeling just so amazed that Saskatchewan can look like that. It really set the stage for a magical few days of of filming so this episode, we've titled it Nakatimtuen, and this is a word, it's a Cree word, and it means helping others. And it's really something that both of the gentlemen we feature in this podcast were brought up to do. And so the first man that we're talking about is Napoleon. He also goes by Nap, and he's truly a visionary. He's devoted his life to moving people ahead. And he's a wonderful storyteller with a captivating presence as you'll see when you watch Wild Race on Flat Out Food this episode. So I can listen to him for hours, and I have. (laughs) So Knapp's taken on leadership roles throughout his career to help affect change for his community. Like he served as the mayor of Isle Lacrosse. He's worked on Parliament Hill supporting a Northern MP. He was a founding member of both the Mississippi Broadcasting Corporation and the Kiwatan Yathe Regional Health Authority, and he coordinated the Northern Health Strategy, which finds solutions to common health challenges in Saskatchewan's north. So he's got this career that has spanned from health to media and communications to now what he's working in a lot, which we'll get into in this episode, is food and food security and healthy food for people and giving the people that produce food a livelihood and a form of ownership. So a friend of mine, her name is Roberta Cross, 
and she spent a lot of time in the Northwest and with Knapp. And she shared this insight with me when I was researching and preparing to film this episode with him. And I'll share it now because it really hits home with the interview that Caitlin, that you've also done with him and the stories that come out. She said, in the Northwest, it's not the place that matters. It's the people who imagined it and brought it to life. And I just love that sentence. That is beautiful. And I think it's so true when thinking of both Albert and Knapp and thinking about how having people, strong leaders in those communities like Albert and Knapp is really imagining and really making those places become something even better. Boval, NWC Wild Rice Company, and Flying Dust First Nation are just like three examples of the resilience of these people in the North. I love how we get to hear more of the stories in this podcast from Albert and Knapp too that just couldn't make it into the show because they both have so much to share about this leadership and vision for their communities. Visiting Northern Saskatchewan is such a unique experience. Throughout season three, the Flat Out Food crew was able to spend six days in two Northern communities. We began our time in Beauval with Napoleon Gardner at the NWC Wild Rice Company. Towards the end of the day, I sat down with Knapp to talk about his childhood growing up in the North. Well, I was born in the community of Isla Cross. We grew up in homesteads around the community. So this happened to be about five, maybe six miles away east of the community, a little place called Njauhkarsik. It means a small sandy point. Most of our lives was spent outside, winter, summer, spring. We had small houses. We were able to continue to speak the language, Cree or Michif. I'm really fortunate to have learned the language, and I still carry it because of the influence of the land. and. Uh, how our families, our fathers, our grandfathers lived off the land. Yeah, it was a diversity of life, a diversity of, of imagination. And for those of us that grew up like that, we still carry it today to the maximum. I think as someone who grew up in Regina, coming up to the north is such a different experience. Being surrounded by trees and the air is crisper. What was it like growing up in the north and being from northern Saskatchewan? You're raised to be as humble as you can possibly be. Sometimes the world demands an outline or a framework. In retrospect, you take a lot for granted. And I can relate a little bit to your story about seeing the north as something that, um, how is it exciting? and different and gives you a different level of connection. So there's a lot of things when you grow up on the land that you take for granted. It just happens to be that way, you know. But as you get older and you, you go out and reflect, you recognize the depth of connection in more ways than one. It's cultural, it's social, it's fam you know, familial, they say, the fancy word. It's, it's also um, the whole notion of connectedness. It's not religion, it's spiritual. It's an amazing thing. And I, I was going to tell one of the camera guys we went driving, trying to take some shots of the side of the road. Here's what used to happen to me when, when you're conscious, when you're connected. I remember one 
time in particular, between Big River and Green Lake. I'm driving. I don't know what I was thinking. I looked to my right, and this little spot, all of a sudden I erupted and I started crying because I had never seen beauty like that in all of my life. And it happened over the course of many years with this convergence of this beauty from somewhere, from the universe, from wherever. So every day, growing up as kids and children, we took it for granted because that's what we did, not knowing at the time that we were being gifted by responsibility, a deeper sense of yourself, a more mature outlook in life, the, the whole sense of how it is that you relate to people, your family, your, your, your relatives, people in the community. It was an outside life. It was an outside experience, you know, and, uh, and I, I still carry it. The following day, the crew joined Napoleon and other community members at a lake in the middle of the forest, where we witnessed firsthand the connection the people of the north have with the land. For Knapp, that connection comes from a spiritual place, and it's also something that he won't allow for others to take advantage of. I might have mentioned earlier that I was raised to, to help and take care of people. It's uh, the Cree words of nagatimsu and nagatimtuin, you know, taking care of yourself, taking care of others. And sometimes I, I say things a little too blunt and direct. That's the one thing that I chalk up to passion and spirit. And I'm glad at 67 years old that um, at least I might be pissing off some people. <laughs> I mean, it might not be in a good way sometime, but at least there's spirit in it, right? It creates a little bit of chaos and, and disorganization, dysfunction, maybe creates something better out of it. And uh, you learned that from the land. Everything in nature has order. You might not think so, but everything from the bugs to the mosquitoes to, to the fish to the animals, the moose, the cycles, everything goes in circles. As beautiful as are the people in it. Why do you think you have such passion and drive to help people? I just want to know where that passion came from and how do you hope to keep carrying that on for the rest of your time? I saw my grandmother have a real powerful place in that family. And I saw my grandfather, who was very hard of hearing, who was independent to the nth degree, he would not try to take shortcuts when he knew that he could create it himself or do something himself or make a paddle or a boat or whatever out of the bush. He, he did it all. You know, I saw that. I saw the strength of my grandmother taking care of her family and coordinating it as if it was easy, but I know. I freaking know that it must have been painful in many instances. And I'm sure my grandfather felt the same thing once in a while. And oh, I used to see him sit by himself every once in the blue moon, wondering, is he upset? What's he thinking? I took all of that, I think. I, I put it in my spirit, in my fiber. And as I got older, I began to recognize the injustice of colonization. I couldn't articulate it that way when I was younger, but I hated the thing all the way to the point where I almost hated myself as well because I thought that I wasn't necessarily living up to the expectation of those non-Indigenous 
world, you know, and um, so it took me a while, but I never forgot the injustice. I never forgot in grade one, I was beaten because I was stubborn. She started with one yardstick. And I'm thinking to myself at five years old in grade one, I ain't crying. This is not going to happen. That opened up a lot of things that afternoon or that day, because after that, because I didn't, I didn't break, that shaped my, my passion. It always has when I, when I see injustice. In terms of how long it's going to last, you know, I, I don't say this too often, but helping people is painful. It's hard stuff, man. It's not easy. It's probably one of the heaviest things you can do, you know? And, uh, but, I, but I warn people. I said, yeah, I might be 67 now, but I'll be 114 and it's still freaking haunting you, man. So, I, uh, however difficult it is and however rewarding it is, which it is rewarding, uh, at some point when you get older, you, you, you have to slowly step aside and you have to let another generation start filling in things however they want. Napoleon told me that as he becomes older, he will continue to lift the younger generation up and give them the space to grow, to lead, and to make mistakes. My time with Nap was eye-opening and inspiring, and I walked away from that conversation with a new outlook on the North. Each time I leave Knapp's presence, I feel uplifted. He's often faced great difficulty in his work and life, and we hear that in the interview as well. But, you know, he's always persevered because he believes a better outcome is possible. That's what I find so inspiring about this man, because in any of the stories that he tells and the, the hardships that he's faced, he just always believes the best will happen, and it does. So he gives me hope for what I can create in my own life too, and I approach it from an open-hearted place of working towards this greater goal and spending time with Nap, I feel like just really inspires me and lights me up in that way. Yeah, I think about the second day that we spent with Nap in the middle of the forest when we were filming with the wild rice harvesters. And the picture I have in my head of him is he was just sitting beside a tree and just being quiet and observing and just taking it all in. And I just feel like that really is a great example of who he is. He's humble, but he knows his stuff. And he is just such a calming and inspiring presence, like we've said, to be around. Definitely. And I've, I've such fond memories of that day too. It was such a special day and looking over at Nap and he had his back against the tree, he was sitting on the earth and watching everything happen with the wild rice harvest that day that we were filming. And he looked so serene and peaceful and content. It was just this picture of perfection, really. But when I think about, I mean, we've got Albert in this podcast as well. And when I think about people that really imbue this sense of, of calmness and serenity and also joy wherever they go, that's really how Albert affects me as well. 
And I first met Albert in 2018 when I was researching my book, Flat Out Delicious. And the story of Albert and Flying Dust First Nations Market Garden was by far one of my top memories of researching the book. I I didn't have any expectations of what I would find there. I just knew that there was a really successful market garden endeavor that was educating members of the community, teaching them how to grow food and also providing healthy food for the community and for food banks and other places all over Saskatchewan. So going to meet Albert then and just seeing his passion and how hard he had fought to get this garden brought into the community. And there was a little bit of pushback because some members of the community just weren't sure how it was going to work out. They'd never done it before. And now it's this successful venture and they keep adding new acres. It's all organic. They've got a big potato processing plant. You know, multiple members of the community are employed there or working there. It feeds people. It's just, it's so inspiring. And it's, it's Albert's brainchild, really. And so to learn about it with him that day was amazing. But then to go back with the crew from Flat Out Food and to be able to film this story was just, oh, I was just so happy to do it. Something that I think is really similar between Napoleon and Albert is that they were both key contact at each location. In the film industry, we would call them the fixer. They're the person who helps us get each interview, helps us find boats and hotels even. Both Albert and Knapp really were that person for us. And I think having those two people for those two episodes of season three was really integral to moving that story forward and finding the right people to tell it. Yeah, and Albert, he's probably one of the most unassuming people I've ever met as well. He's highly intelligent and he's an excellent leader and he's just all around like prolific in the community. Like you said, everybody knows Albert and he's just the the guy you go to if you need to get things done, right? But he's also really jolly and he's always ready with a joke and a smile. And even when he's discussing difficult topics, which came up during filming Flat Out Food, like topics around food security and food sovereignty and why they have the garden in the first place, some of those deeper reasons. And it's, yeah, there's depth to that and there's difficulty, but he says it with this lightness of heart and spirit that just makes it that much easier to digest. I really loved Albert and I loved everything he had to teach us. And I was able to sit down with him in his office and hear the chatter from the room next door and people were walking in and out of that office. There was multiple times when people came in and they just needed something from him. And he was like, oh, just give give me a minute. I've got this podcast to record and then I'll be right out there with you. And how kind that he put aside all this time to film with us and to record this podcast. The crew arrived at Flying Dust First Nation late Sunday evening and woke up to a beautiful and warm day on Monday. We started the week at the Market Garden, where we met Albert DeRoche and had the opportunity to see the Market Garden in action. The Market Garden, which was once a smaller operation, has grown into something bigger, much like the community's other business ventures, which all represent the strength and the connection in the community. I was wondering if you knew how Flying Dust got its name as a reserve. Yeah, so our first chief, is it's pronounced Hopawakanum, Hopawakanum. That's how you say it. It means he who kicks up dust. So that's why it was called Flying Dust. In the mid-1800s, the fur trade was expanding in the west. From Isle of La Crosse, the fur trade cut a trail to Green Lake, then to Fort Carlton along the Saskatchewan River. 
This route created a number of settlements along the way, one of those being the Meadow Lake First Nation, led by Chief Copawakanam, who signed Treaty 6 in 1878. Today, the band is now known as Flying Dust First Nation. We had a large band. It was in Green Lake, and what happened was the Indian agent went there, was going to do the allotment and surveying for the land. He wrote back to the Indian agent in Prince Albert and said, look, we, if we give these guys this land, they're going to get land all the way up to the Northwest Territories. And so, like they did with many other communities, they came in and they sold script, so people gave up their treaty rights. The ones that didn't want to, they moved them, like so the Big River First Nation, some Waterhen people, Canoe Lake people, Sandy Lake, and then Flying Dust. And then what happened was they moved us here. And then by 1910, they wanted to move us out again. So what happened was people that were here, they migrated west. But our chief stayed here. His name was Chief Matchy, Gregoire Matchy. He didn't want to leave. He was the only one left. And he told him, you'll have to shoot me. So they didn't move us. They let him stay. So then what he had to do was bring all the people back that had left. So we've been a band a long time. We have altogether about 1,700 people. About 700 live on reserve. And the rest, you know, again, because of 60 Scoop, especially 60 Scoop, we've got people living all over North America. Albert has had a key role in his community since he was around 15 years old. He has devoted the majority of his life to make change in the community, whether that be when he worked for the Meadow Lake Tribal Council or now for the community of Flying Dust First Nation as the economic development manager. I grew up on Flying Dust. I'm 56 years old. When I was young, our reserve wasn't what it was today. So, you know, we we grew up uh, as a tight-knit family, all of us, and... um, when we were growing up here, there was a lot of alcoholism, a lot of violence, because all of our people were residential school survivors. Residential schools had a huge impact in our community, intergenerational trauma. We're trying to, um, at the best we can, to you know, give our people an opportunity, especially our young people, right? We don't want them to forget about what happened to us as Indigenous people here, but we also don't want them to keep reliving those traumas and those abuses, right? We've worked very hard as a community to give our children and our young people the best opportunities they can have. The Flat Out Food crew was welcomed with open arms into the community of Flying Dust First Nation. We were given tours of important buildings, as well as invited to a dinner to meet the elders and community members. Flying Dust was always a close-knit community. Um, You know, we always treated each other with respect, our families, and, you know, getting along. That's what I think has made us very successful, because without being able to um, work together, you, you, you can't get too much accomplished, right? So we've always decided and always say that our interests as a group are more important than the interests of individuals. Having great leadership, having really good people that aren't politicians, but still like folks like myself and, and others that have come and been gone and, and are here too, right? That lead by example, that lead, um, you know, because they want to see the community be a better place. In order to be successful, you have to be accountable. You have to be transparent. And again, we don't do anything. It doesn't matter what we do. Even if we had the greatest business opportunity in the world, I don't say yes to it. We don't say yes to it until we talk to our elders and we talk to our members. And if they're comfortable with it, great. It is so apparent how proud everyone from Flying Dust is of their community and the accomplishments of the people who live there. 
The community has over nine of its own businesses, and Albert's hope is that these businesses will continue to foster growth and provide employment for the younger generation. I always say to our people, you know, nobody owes us anything. The only person that owes you is yourself, and you owe it to yourself to be the best person you can be. Mental health plays a huge part as well in, you know, the impacts of our community. And so we try to help mitigate that, right, um, with our health department and then giving people the opportunity to do something with themselves. With everything you've told me so far and how Flying Dust got its name, Raising Dust, like I really feel like that's what you guys are out here doing in Flying Dust. You're making changes, you're trying to heal from the past. And I was wondering if you kind of had a comment on what you're most proud of, how you guys are raising dust, you know, still mm -hmm. today. For me, the, what I take so much pride in is um, our ability to, to work together take care of one another. You know, nobody here goes hungry, as you can see. Nobody here goes without when they're in need. You know, our people that are living elsewhere know they can always come back home, that they've got a place, um, a safe place. So for me, that's the biggest thing. That's what I'm most proud of. You can have all the stuff in, you know, all the buildings, all the businesses, everything. But if you don't have people, it, they mean nothing, right? So for me, that's the biggest thing. What does it feel like to you to have a documentary crew here to kind of showcase some of those things that you've done? The yeah, the successes. It's enlightening. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, again, we humbly do this, right? Um, we, we don't, uh, it's not about boasting, but it's about showcasing that, you know, we can, if we can do this, then your community can do this, right? And it doesn't matter whether it's First Nation, we're on First Nation communities too. We're all in this together because at the end of the day, food sovereignty is a right, right? It's not something that somebody gives to you. You, you do that for yourself and it doesn't matter where you live or who you are. We all have to understand that, you know, the creators blessed us here with great land, great opportunity. And, and, you know, we've been good enough to help feed the rest of the world, but we're still reliant too on a lot of stuff from the rest of the world, right? Especially when it comes to fruits, vegetables, you know, we're still importing a lot of it and we shouldn't be. We should be growing it here ourselves. And, you know, again, I'm very proud of the, of our people. I'm proud of what we've done, how far we've come. Uh, we still got a long ways to go. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and the story of resilience, you know, in the community. I think that is the thing that I take home with me. One of Albert's last sentences really hit home for me when he said, we humbly do this. If we can do this, your community can do this. So that's exactly the message he shared the first time I visited Flying Dust. What they're accomplishing is not just inspiring for other Indigenous communities, it's inspiring for everyone in this province because yes, we are too reliant on imported foods. And yes, we have the capability to grow more of our own food right here in Saskatchewan. And that's what food sovereignty and food security is all about. And what Albert and the community members at Flying Dust have achieved sets an example for all of us. It's so true. And like I had mentioned to Albert, like it is so 
obvious that flying dust is constantly living up to its name by kicking up dust and making change and always looking for that next thing to make their community grow and become better. Overall, our time in this beautiful, scenic, pristine northwestern part of Saskatchewan was well spent. I think the stories that, that we captured with Albert and Knapp and the community members at NWC Wild Rice Company around Boval and at Flying Dust First Nation really exemplify the type of humans that I think we can all aspire to be. And when we think about the title of this episode, Nakatimtuan, and helping others, and perhaps it's something that can inform our own lives every day when we look at these stories. Flat Out Food, the podcast, is produced by Halter Media and written by Caitlin Schroep and myself, Jen Sharp. Flat Out Food is funded by Rogers Sports and Media, the Canada Media Fund, Creative Saskatchewan, and the Canadian Film Production Tax Credit. To learn more about Flat Out Food, follow us on social media. You can watch all the episodes of Flat Out Food, along with some bonus content at citytv.com.